Greetings and welcome to another edition of Knox Brew Stories, the Mayor's Report. I'm Greg Hedrick, also known as the Knoxville Beer Mayor, coming to you from the home of one of the most influential individuals in the Knoxville, Tennessee craft beer scene. Today I'll be talking with Zach Roscoff, owner-proprietor of Knox Brew Tours, Knox Brew Hub, Knox Brew Stories, and any other <laughs> Knox Brew business that may come up in the future. And he's also the ambassador for the Knoxville craft beer scene. Hello, Zach. Hey, that's quite uh, quite the introduction. I uh, that means a lot. I don't know if it's true. It's deserved, it, and it is. But the it truth. feels good. I only speak the truth. <laughs> wow. Um, Happy to, I feel it's weird to say I'm happy to be here. Yeah, because we're in my house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but I'm happy that you're here. Oh, and uh, really excited about this. I've been looking forward to to doing this, and and uh, I'm a big fan of your podcast. Well, I usually listen to it when I'm either mowing the yard or driving out to my parents' house. Okay, you know, longer, longer. I I can get a full podcast, half of it on the way there, half on the way back, and. Um, well, that's great. So far, I haven't had anyone tell me that they listen to the podcast at night when they're in bed. Oh, yeah. Help, help, help them, them fall sleep. asleep. <laughs> <laughs> haven't heard that one yet, so I'm grateful for that. But I want to say straight up, thank you for providing me the opportunity to do this. This telling craft beer stories uh, to other people who have love and passion for craft beer and local craft beer. It reminds me we need we need to do a Knox Brew Stories T-shirt because I feel like you'd be the you'd buy the first one. You got that right. <laughs> I would even venture as to say, uh, uh, let's do a Knox Brew Stories hoodie as the weather is turning yes, cooler. Let's do it. <laughs> It'd be a lot of fun. But but I mean, Greg, we started um, when we started the hub. I knew I wanted to do a radio show or yeah. or some sort of media where we could document Knoxville beer and document the stories. One of the things that I love is that we knew we were going to do this sort of quick show that was going to be under an hour and cover a lot of topics. All right. But I felt like we were only going to be able to scratch the surface when the idea came up for you to be doing these podcasts where you could dive in much deeper. It was, it was, it felt like just the perfect match. Wow. And oh. you've done a wonderful job Thank of you. taking a little task cam and a couple of microphones all over the state and diving deeper into the story and uh, using a different platform to share those stories. So we, I appreciate you. Drink. Thank, cheers to you, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. That means a lot coming from you. Now, since we're here to talk about you, <laughs> let's uh, take a deep dive a little bit into your history. And let's begin with uh, the day you entered this earth. Where yeah, are so you I from? Was, I was born at a very early age. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some of us are. <laughs> it's always it always feels weird. People ask me where I'm from, and I've lived in Knoxville since I was three. I lived here as long as I could possibly remember, but I was born somewhere else, and I always feel obligated to say that because okay. I feel like if if I just said I was from Tennessee, then I wouldn't be telling them the whole truth. Right? That's correct. So I was born in Ithaca, New York. Okay. I have no idea where. Uh, if you drove me to Ithaca and said where I wouldn't have a clue, I've never been there. Mm -hmm. I Google mapped it once and took right. a screenshot and asked my mom if that was where I was born because I saw the address like on my birth certificate. She thought I took a photo 
of the house and that I had traveled to Ithaca without telling her <laughs> because she didn't know that That's street great. street view <laughs> right. was a thing. That's great. <laughs> um, around age one and a half, two, we moved to Atlanta for a very short period of time. Then we moved to Mount Juliet right outside of Nashville. Right. And by the time I was three and a half, we uh, landed in Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. And we moved here because my parents were in the restaurant business. They had owned restaurants pretty much their whole lives, and they moved here to start the Knoxville location of Uncle Bud's Catfish Chicken I and remember such. that location. Yeah. I have eaten there I years ago. I actually have memories of that as well. And then after that, we had the Shrimp Shack, and then Louisville Landing Marina, Paradise Grill at Louisville Landing Marina. Then my parents decided to, to not do the restaurant thing for a minute, and then we went back to the restaurant thing. I mean, growing up in the restaurant business has been um, a treat. I've learned yeah. a lot of life lessons and a lot of skills, and I contributed a lot to who I am, who I've become. And uh, I also contribute a lot of Knoxville to who I am and who I've become. Right. It's been a really wonderful place to grow up because I feel like in every aspect of my life, there's been community. Not, I mean, obviously there is now mm-hmm. with me being so involved in the beer community, but before that, there was always been groups of people that have looked out for one another, cared for one another, and it's been something that's drawn me to this town. Right. I, uh, whenever I tell people I love it here, and I can't imagine living anywhere else, yeah, they assume I've just never been anywhere else. Right. I've traveled all over the world. I've traveled all over the U.S. And I, I shit you not, Greg, the plane has just left the ground, and I'm already missing Knoxville. Yeah, it's such a wonderful place. You know, and I'm I'm, I'm happy to visit other places and to explore the world. Of course. Um, but my heart's here and, and has been for as long as I can remember. That's great. Talk to me a little bit about your support system as it relates to your family. That's big. Yeah. It's also... Uh, that's an easy uh, topic to to get emotional about as well. Um, I had this. I'm going to go on a weird tangent here. Not tangent. Just it's it's going to it will circle back. I promise. That's fine. But uh, my support system has always been my friends and my family. Every decision I've ever thought about or made, I've talked to multiple people about. When I say every decision, I sometimes painfully mean every decision, even ones that probably don't justify the research really yeah i mean i just I, I care a lot about the people around me what i don't care what they think about me i value their opinion okay that i value sense. their experience i've learned you know sometimes i often want to share my experiences with other people in hopes that they can avoid mistakes and so i right. I, I try to follow the same philosophy um my dad and mom are probably my biggest support system they have supported me through every crazy adventure that I've done. and But they both supported me in very different ways. So I had this terrible dream once uh, that both my parents had passed away. And in the dream, I went and got a tattoo in their honor. Okay. And the tattoo was a person jumping off of a cliff. And they were about to pull their parachute. Okay, explain. Um, and in the dream, someone asked me to explain this tattoo. Oh, okay. And I was just as curious as they were because I was just, you know, I knew I have really crazy dreams where like I know I'm dreaming. It's really bizarre. 
And what I said in my dream was uh, that my dad encouraged me to take the leap. Oh. But my mom made sure that I had a parachute first. Yeah. Safety net. And I feel like that's a really good analogy for, you know, um, both my parents have been risk takers, but calculated risk takers. Sure. Um, and and so there's there's some responsibility to the riskiness, if that makes any sense. But I've always felt like my dad's told me to sort of shoot for the stars and to go for it and to chase your dreams. And my mom has always been there to help me make sure that I do it uh, wisely mm-hmm. and not recklessly. Yeah. And uh, together it's been an amazing adventure yeah. as cliff diving would be. <laughs> yes. Well, they have amazing experience uh, yeah. with age comes wisdom. Yeah. And I think it's wonderful that you utilize that resource. Of I wisdom. think one of the, one of the things that my dad always said to me that has had a huge impact on me and, and a huge impact on my love for Knoxville uh, was he said there are two types of people, those who look for greener grass and those who make the grass around them greener. Oh, that's great. And, I love that. And I've always taken that, and and that's always, I think, been the root of my optimism. Yeah. Is instead of just listing off all the problems, mm-hmm. um, let's start finding some solutions, you know. Instead of saying the, the grass around me is brown, let's go find it somewhere greener grass somewhere else. Like let's let's fix the grass around us. Absolutely, know? why bail? You know, I uh, I got into an argument once with a f- friend a long time ago, and I, I I got to a boiling point. They were just listing like all the problems. Yeah, and at some point I looked at them and I was like, I'm not in the problem listing business. I'm in the problem fixing business. Yeah, and it was just like such a frustration to. I mean, I get it. We we all have these moments where the outcome feels very uh, unlikely, and we sort of get overwhelmed with the negativeness, and we it's hard to see the light in those moments. But but I try always to to see the positive. The optimism, man. You can't beat yeah. it. No, can't beat it. it's it might be my superpower, maybe. <laughs> um, but something that my mom always told me was, you know, never be afraid to ask. The worst thing that can happen is they'll say no. Exactly. And I think that has had a huge impact on me and a lot of opportunities that I've had. And some people might misunderstand that to think that you could maybe take advantage of somebody, but that's that's if you're asking questions that are taking yeah. advantage of somebody. But a lot of opportunities that I've had in my life have been from my curiosity and without being the fear without having the fear of asking the question. And so I'm thankful for that for my mom as well. That's great. Now, tell me about your education mm. as it relates to. <laughs> let's let's start. Uh, that is a windy story. In, in, yeah, I know. That's that's why I'm here <laughs> for the story. Do you know this answer? You, have, you don't even. Do you know my educational background at I, all? I do not. That's why I ask questions. All right, I'll give you the quick version, all right. and then you can decide what you want to unpack. All right. Okay. It works. So I went to Rocky Hill Elementary School, kindergarten, and then uh, in, in first grade. Okay. Um, I remember in first grade getting in trouble um, because when it came time to learn how to count coins, I already knew how to count coins. 
And my teacher got mad at my mom for that. And my mom was like, what? It was crazy. <laughs> my mom was like, he's a kid. He was curious. He asked me how to count, you know, and I would tell him. And then now here he is. All right. I also got in trouble because I wouldn't sit still. Shocking. <laughs> to this day. Yep. I got in trouble because I threw wet toilet paper on the ceiling in the bathroom. Apparently, I don't know. My mom, I love my mom. Her and I are both storytellers, so I don't know what's true sometimes. But she says that I got called to the principal's office and she had to come in to pick me up from school. And while she was talking to the principal, I went under the desk and tried to tie his shoelaces together. I don't know if that's, that's probably not true. Um, but that's, that's the, that's definitely one of the, the stories. Um, you know, I was probably a little wild. Uh, at one point, my parents loved to play blackjack and we played cards all the time. And I had an older brother. So I feel like I soaked up a lot from him as well. All right. When you're the oldest, you're like, you know, you're the, first one to learn how to play the guitar but when you're the youngest you give you get exposed to someone playing guitar before you can do it and so I, that was the same for cards for me okay and i had to count as high as i could so i got up in front of the class one two three four five six seven eight nine ten jack queen king ace <laughs> <laughs> oh my god got in trouble for that <laughs> what a moment why does your kid know how to count cards? Well, because he played games. That's what we do. It was ridiculous. So I knew um, that, I guess, for me, like traditional school was always a struggle for me. Um, I, I wanted to play outside. I mean, every kid, I guess, you know, and this is when the, the letters ADD started right. to, to come out and sure. ADHD. So... There was a program in Knox County Schools called the Magnet Program. Yes. And uh, my parents applied me for that program and, and was accepted. So second, third, fourth, and fifth grade, I went to Green Magnet School. Oh. Downtown Knoxville. Yeah. Right around the corner from where I'm currently living. <laughs> which is kind of crazy to think yeah. about. And part of the thing about the Magnet School was that they were trying to promote diversity. Um, they were trying to give some extra resources to, to to change a school up a little bit. And those years for me were huge. Um, we had a lot of, there was two teachers for 15 students. And anytime there was questions that were above and beyond the curriculum, they were very welcomed and we explored it. And there wasn't the, oh, you have to wait till next year to learn that. I was like, great. let's dive in. A lot of computer work, a lot of hands-on. I mean, I, I remember taking a typing class in seventh grade, you know, which is normal now, but that was right in the transition when cell phones started coming out. All right. So going to a school, down, an urban school in the city, and being exposed to a lot more culture and a lot more diversity than I think I would have been at, at Rocky Hill has been a huge part of, of who I've become. So then we go into middle school. I went to Vine okay. Middle School. And then my mom asked me, you know, what high school do you want to go to? And uh, my choices were Austin East to continue in the magnet program mm -hmm. or to go to Bearden High School. And for me, I think part of me wanted to just be like my brother, you know, my older brother. And so I told her I wanted to go to Bearden High School, you know, and he was on the soccer team and I wanted to be and, and all these things. So we made the decision to leave Vine to go to Bearden Middle so that I would hopefully develop some friendships in sure. middle school that would, would go into high sure. school. The irony of that is that about 85% of the students at Bearden Middle School go to West. 
So I made a few friends. And really? Yeah. It's kind of strange that. like that. Yeah. Mm. Story gets weirder. So then I go to Bearden Middle School, 7th and 8th grade. Ninth grade, I go to Bearden High. Sophomore year, 10th grade, I go to Bearden High School. I was not really enjoying school. I felt like I was wasting a lot of time. I felt like, you know, I went to this one, I had this one class where we would play phase 10, like the card game for like 45 minutes every day. That was just because there was only 40 minutes of lessons and then 45 minutes of free time. I mean, it just, it was something I struggled with. And so my dad uh, really wanted to homeschool me, but he couldn't because of the demands of work. And so we found this Christian academy in Lenore City called Crossroads. And it was a Christian like co op. And yeah. what that means is that on Mondays and Fridays, you would homeschool. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, you would go to school. Have you ever heard of that before? No. Okay. Never. So you're getting the same, like, you know, it's like, it's like half homeschooled, half not homeschooled. Hmm. Well, I grew up in the restaurant business. My parents made me buy my first car. I had to pay for my own college. So I left Bearden High School to go to Crossroads Christian Academy. And instead of getting homeschooled on Mondays and Fridays, I got a job. And I worked at Wendy's three days a week. Uh, the Wendy's right around the corner. And I loved it. And I started saving up money to pay for a car and pay for college. My senior year, we're all duly enrolled classes, all at Pellissippi. So I was getting high school credit and college credit at the same time. Okay. And so if people ask me where I graduated high school, the short answer is Bearden. But the long answer is actually Crossroads Christian Academy. Graduating class of five people. Really? Yes. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Five whole people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I was a salutatorian, which sounds great on yeah, paper. Yeah, it does. That looks good on paper. But I was the fourth dumbest person there. So <laughs> <laughs> it didn't really you know, work out. I mean, it worked out. It was great. I, had, I learned a lot um, from that time as well. Went to Pellissippi. Fell in love with sign language. Decided to be a sign language major. Wanted to be uh, learn de- sign language interpreter and deaf education. So I went to Maryville College, who had a great ASL program, and said, I'm going to go spend two years at Pellissippi. What do I need to take to prepare myself for Maryville College? So I spent two years at Pellissippi, um, took ASL 1, 2, 3, and 4, took all the prerequisites, transferred to Maryville College, and uh, junior year, I spent one semester at Maryville College, and that winter, I got an opportunity to move to Nashville to record an album with a band. Oh, yeah. And I left school. Yeah. Never to finish. So I told you it was a windy path. Yes. Of traditional school, of magnet program schools, of Christian homeschool co-ops, to community colleges, to liberal arts colleges, yeah. to um, not... Even I mean, and I'll be honest, something I struggled with for a really long time was not having a bachelor's degree. Yeah. It was actually something that I was afraid I would never overcome. Really? Like almost like a scarlet letter, like a uh, a stigma that 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 my dreams and my hopes would never be realized because I didn't finish school. Man, alive. I didn't know that. Yeah, it took me a really, really really long time to get over that um and to realize that i didn't care care anymore <laughs> yeah you got to look at what's important in life you know society puts certain values on certain things that when you sit back and, and you assess life is it yeah. really that important well and i've got you know I, I graduated in 2007 right after 
you know, there was another a financial downturn. Right. And I had all these, sorry, I graduated college. Well, what would have in, in 2011? I had all these, all these friends with bachelor degrees that couldn't get a job yeah. making minimum wage. You know, and it breaks my heart. I know people today that have three degrees and, you know, and they're struggling to find work. Yeah. Um, Not to mention loan debt. Yeah. Stu- <laughs> yeah. Student loan debt. Um, and so I think there's no wrong way or no right way. And, and life just kind of happens. Um, but I've that sort of self-consciousness of, of not finishing school, I, I finally let that go a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, I would think you'd be hard pressed to find someone that had that much diversity as it relates to their education. I feel like I saw it all. <laughs> but during your education, particularly in high school, you, know, you made some relationships um, and acquaintances, and some of those people are involved in the Knoxville craft beer. Yeah. Same. Yeah. So, and it's actually more middle school. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So, Kate Kaufman, over yeah. at, who recently left Alliance mm-hmm. for her next adventure, but she she was Alliance Brewing Company's employee negative two. I mean, she she w- was a part of that company and that vision before it was even right. a company. Right. And she's a great, great person, amazing individual. And yes. So, and then Matt Malone, Matt Malone, and I also he was one grade above me, but. Uh, we started a ping pong club in high school, and we went to yeah. the same church together. Callie Broom, general manager at Highwire, right? Uh, Blaine Wedekin, yeah. uh, one of the owners of Balter Beer Works. Yes, I'm trying to think who else in the industry that I used to to work with. I mean, or that I used to know. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, but it's really fun to kind of grow up with these people and then to to be working. I've got a circle. I've got a circle back. You said. Malone was a great ahead of you. Yes. So is he older I, than you? He's yes. I graduated in 2007. He graduated in 2006. So Malone is older than you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm 32. He's 33. <laughs> wow. I would have never thought that. <laughs> love, love you, Matt. <laughs> yeah. But um, as far as going to work, you mentioned your. First job was Wendy's. Let's talk about. Well, technically, my first job was working for my parents. Oh, that's right. When I was yeah. 12, 11, 12, 13 years old, I was rolling silverware, peeling shrimp, you know, cutting lemons. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up in the restaurant business. I, you know, hosted, I, I did it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but towards the end of my high school career, my parents kind of got out of the restaurant game for a minute. So Wendy's was like one of my first jobs that wasn't working for my parents. Okay. I also worked at Celebration Station, which <laughs> later became Zuma Fun Center. Yeah. Which later was demolished and is now a hotel. Right. I uh, used uh, ran the go kart track and all the arcade machines and like putt putt and stuff like that. That was a great job. Yeah, sounds like fun. It was stupid fun. I have a really weird memory that um, I probably shouldn't tell, but. Matt and I, Matt and I worked there together. Oh my god! <laughs> and we had to clean up uh, the trash in the parking lot, but we didn't want to walk around, so we took my old Honda Civic and I would prop the door open with one foot, and then I would put the dustpan on the ground, 
and then Matt would drive around and try to scoop, drive the car in a pattern that would scoop the trash up into the dustpan. Oh, my gosh. This is totally idiotic. <laughs> not OSHA approved. No, not even close. In hindsight, it would have made way more sense to hold the dustpan out of the window instead of <laughs> like propping it open with my leg. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, no, Matt and I worked there at the same time. That was that was quite the trip as well. So when was what was the last um time that you were involved in your parents' restaurant business? Probably uh, a restaurant that was one of my, is actually my favorite restaurant. It was called Riverview Grill. It was oh, yes. right there on perfectly the river. between, Clinton, between Clinton, and Clinton and Oak Ridge. Ridge. And I dined there yeah. when I lived in Clinton. And it had half the menu was barbecue and yes. half the menu was seafood. Yes. I mean, Greg, it's very possible that you went into that restaurant and I sat you down at the um, table. I have no doubt about that because we... We liked it. The food yeah. was phenomenal. I loved the Tennessee cheesesteak, which was yeah. a smoked brisket with uh, Swiss cheese and peppers and onions on a on a French like bread hoagie roll yeah. because we had po' boys, and the po' boys were so good. But my favorite meal uh, is out there was still the redneck surf and turf, which I was a half that. a rack of ribs and two <laughs> pieces of fried catfish. Yes. Um, I loved that restaurant. That was the last restaurant that I worked at. Okay. So other than the restaurant business, yeah, and Wendy's, yeah, and keep celebration, going, and celebration station. station. I worked for State Farm for a little while as their mascot at special events. Really, I was dressed up as the State Farm Nay Bear. <laughs> so, oh, well, that's pretty corny. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Uh, the only rule was I wasn't allowed to talk. Apparently, oh. mascots aren't supposed to have. There's like it's like a best practice to not have a voice. You, you're, you know, your body is your voice. I guess I worked uh, for three and a half years for a company called Party Boys Mobile DJ Company. Oh. I did quinceaneras and bar mitzvahs and birthday parties and weddings and middle wow. school dances and high school dances and charity events and marathons. Uh, I mean, I worked my tail off in college. I, you know. That was my. I had a job. I was my own, my only financial support was me, and so I worked like a lot. And I remember getting off work at ten, eleven, midnight, and all my friends are you know at a party, and I would have right. to show up late and catch up and try to have a good time. But I learned a lot of lessons and learned how to use music as a tool to facilitate a party or to control a room or to read people and. And to understand like what they're looking for, I, I learned a lot from that. Yeah, and then I worked part time at a church at Concord United Methodist Church. I really, did, doing what? I did uh, programming for middle schoolers. Wow. Yeah, so I would like create activities for them and games and like lesson plans and stuff, which led to we're doing coordination for the young adult group, and then that led me to my first job in craft beer which was helping to open and bartend for Casual Pint North Shore. See, I didn't know that either. The two original uh, owners of the Casual Pint North Shore were members at the church that I worked at. Oh, okay. And their children were in the youth group that I worked for. And I had all this restaurant service experience. I had also spent a lot of time doing catering bartending for Rothschilds and Darius Garden. Okay. Um, it was so much fun. 
I loved it. It was I, I kind of, sometimes I daydream about bartending weddings. I mean, they're just everyone's there to have a good time. You're know. slinging drinks. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. So I started the casual pint North Shore. Helped them set everything up and was bartending and working my butt out there. I still remember driving out there and and just said it was just a great time that job though uh started to help me learn the industry and learn the beer community i started developing friendships and i had my contact book started getting bigger and bigger and bigger i visited Asheville and did a brewery tour company and it was something that i really enjoyed and thought i could do really well with and that's where the idea originally started to start a brewery tour company Okay. Casual Pint was uh, sort of my last job before I took the leap. Well, we'll get into Knox Brew (laughs) Tours here momentarily. Yeah. But thanks for updating me for your job history uh, up until then. uh, You know, my school history and my job history are both windy and twisted and complicated. A friend of mine... Describe me once as just a less successful Forrest Gump. Um, but, but you're you're exposed to so many diverse experiences, you know? Yeah. That's that's a great thing. It's it's an education in life that most people don't get. Yeah. So other than working, what else do you enjoy doing in life? What are your hobbies? What are my hobbies? Activities that you enjoy doing. I mean, I, I like sports. I like to watch sports. I like to mountain bike. I like to kayak. I mean, anything outside is going to make, I, I feel there's a connection to to the world that I appreciate. Right. Um, I like live music. I mean, I, I have kind of all the typical basic answers, but I love games. I'm a big fan of chess, cards, board games. I wish there were more game nights. Uh, yeah. I love to cook. I've gotten a lot of joy and sort of peace in the last three or four years of my life from cooking. That's great. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Now, tonight, you know, I was a little late, so I <laughs> had chicken nuggets for dinner. Uh, but usually it's a little more involved than that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now let's talk about beer. Okay, I'm in. Um, tell me the story about your first beer. When was it? What was it? 17 years old. Many of y'all know my good buddy, Cesar. We were having a little house party at his parents' house. His parents were uh, out of town. Yeah. And we were drinking uh, vodka and orange juice because mm. we didn't want to taste the alcohol. We thought all beer tasted like, you know, horse pee. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and now when was this? Uh, 2005, <laughs> 2006. And uh, 17 years old, and we I drank just enough vodka and orange juice that we ran out of vodka, and the only thing that was left was Coronas. And uh, my buddy gave me a Corona, and I was like, all right, whatever, here we go. I don't, I don't, it's my only choice. It's my yeah, only option. I, I still want alcohol, so this is all yeah. you got. I'm going to drink it. And I drank it and was like, oh, that's not so bad. That's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I'll, I'll take another. I'll take another. And my acquired taste for beer began at that point. So okay. then I go to college, and you know you're drinking the cheap stuff, the Natty sure. Light, the Bud Light, yeah. the whatever you can get your the, hands the on. The budget beer. The budget beer. Then, uh, 20 years old, I'm living in this house. 
and we had one roommate who was older than 21 who agreed to buy us beer, but only one beer. He would only agree to buy us a Yingling. Okay. So I started to fall in love with Yingling. And Yingling had so much more flavor compared to Natty Light, Bud right. Light. Right. You know, this amber lager, and it had a lot more going on. And it had family ties and history. And yes. All these things. So I fell in love with it. Well, I uh, turned 21, desperately wanted a Yingling uh, on draft. And so I look all over the whole city of Knoxville, and the only place that had Yingling on draft was a Beard and Beer Market. Yes. God bless Beard and Beer Market. <laughs> so I went there and I drank it until I showed up one day and it, they were out. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll just go home then. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. You didn't try I something I was a else? one trick pony. <laughs> and the uh, guy said, well, hey, hey, man, have you ever uh, have you ever had Gaelic Ale? And I was like, no. He's like, it's kind of similar. You want to try it? I was like, sure. So after that, I only loved two beers, Yingling and Gaelic Ale. Yeah. And then I showed up one day. There's no Yingling. There's no Gaelic Ale. So I'm about to walk out. They're like, have you ever had Fat Tire from New Belgium? Yeah. So I was like, I'll try it. And I fell in love with it. And from there, uh, the rest is history. I mean, wow. I, I just, my love for beer just exploded. Yeah. My my desire for styles and flavors and stories and history and culture and everything just completely took off right and uh it was like every single time i left knoxville it, it was funeral wedding work trip didn't matter yeah. what beer can i get my hands on what do you like best about craft beer the people the community um i'm on a weird spot in my beer journey where i care less about the liquid than i mm -hmm. ever have Okay. It's That's kind fair. of a hard statement. Yeah. Um, I've had a, a thousand beers, some better than others. But what has stuck with me and what I've remembered wasn't that beer. Right. It was the time and place that I enjoyed it. Yeah. And the people that I enjoyed it with. Yeah. I've said that before that it's only, the beer is only a percentage. It is of only the experience. a percentage of the experience. And I really struggled during COVID with supporting our, our local breweries by going and getting crowlers, yeah. cans, and taking them home. And when I would consume the beer, it, it, it wasn't the same. Yeah. You know, I, same people made it, but I didn't get the same experience because yeah. I wasn't among the community. That, you know, was definitely a challenge for sure. Yeah. I um, Don't get me wrong, I love beer. It's my favorite beverage. But I would rather have a bad beer in a great environment than a great beer in, 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 a, in a poor one. Right. And that's changed. I didn't always feel that way. You know, um, at one point, liquid was king. And at sure. one point in our industry, the only thing you needed to do to be a successful brewery was make a great beer. Yeah. That's not true anymore. No. You know, I know that you mentioned the Tennessee Beer Run. Where I visited all the breweries in the state yeah, of Tennessee. We'll talk about that here shortly. Yeah. <laughs> On that trip, that was when I think started things started to open my eyes a little bit because I would go to breweries that, according to a lot of people's standards, didn't have good beer, mm -hmm. but was packed. Really? And I would go to breweries that had excellent beer. 
that were completely dead. Wow. And that's when I think I started to realize what you said, which is that the liquid is only a part of the... Yes. It's It's only a piece of the equation. Right. So you did the Tennessee beer run, which we'll talk about more in detail in a few minutes. Uh, But prior to the Tennessee beer run, you started a business now known as Knox Brew Tours. Yes, 2014. So tell the listeners what Knox Brew Tours is and what its mission is. So Knox Brew Tours is a guided brewery tour experience. We like to call it your backstage pass to local beer because we have through our partnership with our wonderful breweries have been able to create an experience that you can't get otherwise. Mm -hmm. And our mission is to connect all people to Knoxville, to beer and to each other. And it's been a wild, wild ride. And one of the most um, rewarding experiences of my life. It's hard to imagine. We've been doing it for eight years now. It is. I mean, in two years, we'll be 10 years old. It's crazy. It's you know, it's the only thing you'll know. I mean, if you recall my story of my schooling and the story of my jobs, it's the only thing that I've done in my life for a long period of time. Yeah. It's a um, constant. Yeah. And that all started in the summer of 2014. I was playing music. I, I left school to do music and did that for about three years. So I'm 24, 25. The band thing is over trying to decide what to do next with my life, um, go back to school, start a business, whatever. And the moment that changed everything was the day I met Aaron McLean and Jen Parker. So actually, I'm going to back it up a week before that. Okay. I don't think you've ever heard this story. Maybe you have. You have. I was at Hops and Hollers, and I went to the bathroom. Have you heard this? Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> So I was thinking about starting this yes. brewery tour company. So I bought a, I started an Instagram, Knox Brew Tours, and just started sharing social media of the breweries. I went into the bathroom at Hops and Hollers. Charles Ellis, a good friend of mine now, was bartending at the time. Yes. And Charles was in control of Hops and Hollers social. So I go into the bathroom, and there's a cool photo on the wall, and I take a photo, and I tag Hops and Hollers, use the restroom, I wash my hands, and I walk out. I sit down at the bar, <laughs> and Charles says to me, are you Knox Brew Tours? I was like, yeah, how'd you know that? He's like, you just tagged us on social media, a photo from the bathroom, and I just saw you come out of the bathroom. <laughs> That's Busted. Great. Yeah. I said, he was, have you heard about Crafty Bastard Brewery? It's like, no. He's like, look them up. So I Facebook them. I was like the 12th person to like their page. Wow. I mean, they were brand That's new. incredible. So I sent them a Facebook message, told them I was thinking about starting a brewery tour company. I went over to their house. We tried a bunch of homebrew beers. They took me over to the space that is now Crafty Downtown. They gave me a full tour. There was no electricity. There was garbage everywhere. We just had our flashlights on our phones. And then Aaron told me that Alliance Brewing Company was in planning. I remember leaving and calling my dad and saying, hey, you know this brewery tour company I've been thinking about? He's like, yeah. I said, now's the time. He said, why? Because we have four, and I know for a fact there are two on the way. Wow. And that's what started Knoxville Tours. That's what started it all. Yeah. We uh, 
bought a bus off Craigslist. I learned how to build a website. I convinced three of the four breweries to let me bring people into their space. And on November 28, 2014, we ran our first brewery tour. We sold two tickets. Two. Two. Yeah. In fact, I filled the bus up with all my friends. So WBIR called and said, hey, we heard about your tour. We'd like to film it. And I was like, shit, this is going to be an empty bus. What am I going to do? So I texted all my friends and was like, please come to the Casual Pint Beard. And that's where the tour started. Please come to the Casual Pint Beard and take this brew tour. I'll, I'll give you, pay you free beer. I just need bodies. So we all show up and we get on the bus. And the camera lady gets on the bus and does like a quick like 180 Asked me a few questions and she goes, okay, thanks. Have a good day. <laughs> and That's leaves. It, huh? <laughs> and I'm committed now to <laughs> yes. three hours of free beer for my friends. And so we did a tour and it was great. And that was the that was the beginning of Knox Brew Tours. That that was actually on my dad's birthday. Oh, really? And he told me that was the best uh birthday present I ever gave him was starting my own business. So talk about how Knox Brew Tours has changed from, from that first <laughs> tour to what it is now. Well, I'll tell you right now, Matt Malone, previously mentioned, and I probably ran the first 150 brewery tours. Wow. In fact, um, if one of us couldn't get out of work, we, couldn't, we didn't run the tour. Really? Yes. He had a part-time job. I had a part-time job. I mean, we both had full-time jobs, and we were doing Knoxbury tours on the side. So whether we could run a tour or not depended on whether we could get off work. Wow. So it's hard to imagine that, it isn't is, it? It is. It yeah. is. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, Matt and I ran the first 150 tours. Then and I hired my first you know, driver that wasn't Matt. Right. And then we started to grow slowly. You know, we went from doing eight tours a month to doing, you know, 16 20 tours a month wow you know right before COVID hit we were doing eight tours a weekend i mean it's been crazy wow we've had up to three vehicles at one point we're back down to two um mostly for insurance commercial insurance is very expensive right now and uh we've changed in that we've we've grown our team we've grown our vehicles we've grown our offerings I feel like we've really found kind of who our who our audience is and who our customers are, and and uh, we've gone from four breweries to twenty. Yeah. So, what were those first four? The first three, I'll start with, because our original tour was three breweries, four beers, and at some point we switched to four breweries, three beers. So the first three breweries we worked with were Sawworks. Black Horse when it was on Western Plaza. All right. And the Smoky Mountain Brewery inside of the Calhouns on Bearden Hill. Okay. The fourth brewery we added was around tour number 97, and it was Blue Tick Brewery in Maryville. All right. And then somewhere around like 130-ish, we added Crafty Bastard. Somewhere around 140-ish, we added Alliance Brewing Company. Wow, I didn't realize it was that far down the line. I think somewhere... came on board. Yeah, I think somewhere closer to... 200 we added balter or schultzbrow mm-hmm. and uh, now we're up to, we're about to be celebrating our 1500th brewery tour yeah we'd be over 2000 if it wasn't for covid oh absolutely yeah we would have absolutely. definitely done over 2000 yeah. it's crazy 
And it's crazy to think that uh, how much has changed since then. I want you to talk about and discuss a little bit about the challenges that you had when you started the business. Because um, you were featuring basically a new concept to Knoxville. Well, one one challenge was definitely convincing the breweries that what we were doing was valuable. Right. And I'm not mad at anybody about this, but I think part of what made that challenging was that the first two of the first two of the out of the three breweries in the beginning were brew pubs. The reason I bring that up is that typically the individuals who were running those brew pubs had a restaurant background and not a brewery background. Okay. So their focus was how is this going to help me sell more food? Where one of the breweries was a production brewery and they got it. Their job was to sell beer. All right. And teaching people and educating them about their product was a no-brainer. But some of the other places took a little bit more convincing. And and so that was a challenge. I'm going to say a quick shout-out to Paul Melton, um, who is currently the operations manager for Smoky Mountain Brewery. At this point in time, he was the general manager of the Calhouns on Bearden Hill. Okay. Knox Brew Tours would not exist today if it wasn't for that person. Wow. I walked into that restaurant and asked him for a meeting, and he agreed to it. We sat down. I told him, told him my vision, and he asked me about 20 questions that I didn't know the answers to. Oh. Things I never thought about, things that would hit and cross my mind. And instead of leaving that meeting defeated... I left that meeting determined to find the answer to all those questions. Yeah. Reached back out, said, Hey, can we meet again? And one by one, every question he asked me, I went through and answered. And he said, Great. When do we start? That's impressive. That's impressive. I needed that mentorship and yeah. that perspective to learn what I was lacking. And Paul could have easily just seen me as some young dumb kid who didn't know what he was doing and told me to F off. But instead he challenged me in a way that, uh, I'll, I'll never forget. Yeah. What other challenges did you have early on? I mean, your tour, you know, or in the early, the early tours, you actually drank on the bus. Yeah. Well, talk we about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, some other challenges that we had was I didn't know anything about vehicles mechanics wise. Okay. I mean, it, I was, I was one of those guys where if the car didn't start, you know, I would say, is the battery dead? And if they're like, Nope, I'd be like, that's all I got. That's like, <laughs> I can't, I have nothing else to add to this. So, you know, one of the things I've said for years is that, I wanted to get into the beer business, but I, what I actually got into was the transportation business. Okay. I had to learn, and excuse me, I'm having a few beers, so I keep burping every now and then. <laughs> That's fine. It's uh, just considered authentic. That's it's, a side effect. Yes. Uh, and so I, I challenges were learning how to maintain vehicles, how to take care of vehicles, maintenance schedules, and learning how to troubleshoot vehicles. And you know, I the bus was parked at my house for the first three and a half years of this business. Yeah. I mean, 
It's actually a funny story. I had three vehicles parked in front of my house on a on Baxter Avenue, <laughs> and I had a nightmare one night that a drunk driver sideswiped all three of them and drove off. Oh, wow, that is a nightmare. And I woke up and ran outside and checked the vehicles, and they were fine. And that was when I was like, I need somewhere to park them, and I ended up at Hops and Hollers. Um, and then later, last days of autumn, both great local beer places that had fenced-in parking lots, right, and a little office space for me too, which was huge. Um, what was the challenge you asked about? Um, early on, the things that you learned because oh, they, you, you allowed drinking on the we bus did. initially. We did. Um, I was out of town for this tour, but we had a tour that overconsumed, and we're drinking budget beers on the bus. Mm. We dropped them off at Black Horse. Instead of dropping them off in the parking lot, they got dropped off at the front door. Oh, wow. They got off the bus with a cooler and sat on Black Horse's patio furniture and cracked open their beers and started drinking Bud Lights and Natty Lights on the patio of Black Horse. Oh, no. And when the manager came out to tell them they couldn't do that, one of the individuals was peeing on the building. Oh, my God. Our relationships with the breweries has always been strong, but they've always just been relationships. They're not contractual. They're not anything. Right. I had a heart attack that night when I got that phone call because I was 100% certain that our relationship with Black Horse was over. Wow. And it, that's broke my heart because our breweries, our partners, are, are, it's, our, it's our business. Of course. I mean, our inventory is relationships. And I went down there, and and we have never allowed an open container on our vehicles since that day. Because uh, we're not a party bus. We do have a lot of fun. We have a party. absolutely. But we're not a drunk bus. And I realized that every single time we allowed someone to bring a cooler on the bus, the cooler was full of shit beer and not high-quality beer. Right. And above all things, it was never full of local beer. Yeah. And so we decided that wasn't accomplishing our mission. And so I said, no more coolers on the bus, no more beers on the bus. And if we can't run this business successfully without that, then I don't want to run it. Yeah. Kudos to you for that. We were able to salvage our relationship with Black Horse. And still to this day, we don't allow people to drink on the bus. Expound a little bit on your relationships with the... And partnerships with the craft breweries in Knoxville. I kind of miss the early days. It was COVID definitely had a negative impact on my relationships. Not that we that we don't uh, have any bad feelings for each other. We just we weren't able to groom those relationships. So because I mean I have you know I love Matthew Cummings from Pretentious. Because of COVID, we went two and a half years without seeing each other. Wow. Because I was busy, he was busy, he had a family, I was trying to survive. We stopped running tours for 513 days. And eventually we ran into each other pretentious. I was like, dude, I haven't seen you in forever. You know, it was that was a really big struggle. But like I missed the early days where I used to take all of Crafty Bastards empty kegs in my bus up the street to Fanatic to have them keg washed and then bring them back because uh, Jeff Adams was putting those kegs in his Toyota Camry, six <laughs> kegs at a time. Wow. It would take him the whole day. And so I was like, dude, I got a bus. And I'd pull up and we'd load 30 kegs and get it all done at once. That's great. I miss the early days where I used to go to the Christmas sales and help 
the guys at Pretentious sell glass. I mean, that's how we met. I don't know if you ever heard that. That's a story. I have heard that story. It's it's a great story. I miss those early days where, you know, I just did everything I could to love on our breweries and uh, to try to help them out. Yeah. You know, um, you know the beautiful long tables in the center of Alliance. Yes, those were made by Pretentious. I didn't know that. Transported by Knox Brew Tours. Wow, Adam. Chris and I went over to Pretentious, loaded those things up in the back of the bus, and drove them over to Alliance. Those those are the days and the memories that I will cherish forever. Yeah. And I don't want to say that those days are gone, but there are fewer and far in between. Right. Right. Do you have any funny stories <laughs> relating to tours that you would like to share? Yeah, I'm going to throw you... <laughs> Johnny Miller under the brew bus, except for <laughs> it's not really his fault. We took a tour to Sawworks while Johnny was there, and it was his girl's birthday. And the last stop was Blue Tick. And um, this was right after the first Brewhibition event. Do you remember that festival? Yes, I do. And uh, Sawworks got partnered up with a Moonshine Distillery. And so... Um, there was a jar of moonshine in the cooler. And Johnny comes up to me and says, hey, is it okay if I give the birthday girl this this jar of moonshine? And this was <laughs> when we still allowed people to drink on the bus. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? We've got a 30-minute drive out to Blue Tick. What's the worst thing that could happen? Well, they're passing this jar around. And like a normal person, everyone is taking like a tiny sip. Yes. But it gets to the birthday girl, and she's taking, like, a gulp. Oh. Like, you know how when you see someone drinking, and you can kind of see their Adam's apple, like, go in yes. and out a few times? Yes. It, that's how she was, like, I mean, she doesn't have an Adam's apple, but you could like, see her, like, right, you know? The gulping action. And this jar got passed around all the way until we got the blue ticket. And when we got the blue ticket, it was empty. And she missed the entire tour. Her friends were taking care of her in the bathroom. That's not the funny part. I, I don't want anybody, you know, to to... To, to get to that point but and this is we learned so many lessons here right the funniest part of the story though is at the end we always take a group selfie and one of her f- dearest friends um had to prop her head up for the photo and her eyes are completely shut <laughs> and then they ended up opening the back of the bus and, and taking her home and taking care of her wow. that's reason number 47 why we don't allow drinking right. on the bus anymore that's wow. not that's not what we want. That's not what we hope for. And so we nipped that in the bud, but uh, it was definitely unexpected. You provided her with a memory for the rest of her life. Or a lack of a memory. <laughs> well, no, her friends <laughs> had the memory. <laughs> I'm trying to give any other funny stories. Uh, when, when I first bought the bus, it was a camper. Someone had turned it into a hunting camper. Right. And um, we drove it back to the house. And Matt and I knew that we needed to to demo it. We needed to pull everything out of it, you know, the bunk beds and everything. But we felt like we needed to do it in honor by sleeping in it one more night. Okay. So we get pillows and blankets, and I'm in one bunk, and Matt's in the other bunk, and we go to sleep. I wake up like an hour later, and that asshole is inside his own bed, <laughs> and I'm sleeping on a piece of plywood. He left me there to die. <laughs> and I'll never forget that. You can ask him about With that. With age comes wisdom. He's the older <laughs> of the two, right? 
That's funny. Talk a little bit about some of the services that um, Knox Brew, Brew Tours provides. You, you you have tours that people can go online and yeah, get. Yeah, public you, and private yes, tours. Yes, private. Yeah. So, I mean, our public tours, we have certain time slots, and then you sign up for it. It's usually a three-hour tour, just like Gilligan's Island. You can request yeah. a few breweries. Everything's included. It's a heck of an experience. And then we have private tours where you just can customize it, have the bus to yourself, and there's a few extra options there. What percentage of your tours are public versus private? <laughs> Over half, right, lately, are private. Really? Yeah. We, we, um, we're about 50-50 on public versus private. Wow. And to me, that says a lot. Um, excuse me. It's a huge compliment because private tours are almost always locals. Yeah. And they're usually always somebody who's been on a tour before. So to get that, a lot of repeat business is something I was never expecting. I thought people would take our tour once and be done with it. And there are people who have taken our tour six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. Yeah. And they say every time they take it, it's a new experience. And they learn something new, and it's about the people that they're experiencing it with. Right. And so um, that's really been a treat, an unexpected treat. And you have very high feedback yeah, we from do. folks on that take your tours. Any private tour memories that you have? Um, I have a rather vivid one. You go, you go. <laughs> I'm trying, I have several. I'm just trying to figure out which ones I want to share publicly. Well, I, I was surprised um, what I thought was just going to be a dinner at Elkmont with friends. <laughs> and after the dinner was over and the cake was cut and eaten, I was expecting to go home. And then in you come announcing to everyone that... With two buses. Yes, two buses. And the fun has just begun. <laughs> and, and it was so, so memorable um, in my life. Um very emotional for me to this day. And the evening climaxed with the presentation of... Yes, I, worked, I was working on that for a while. <laughs> yes. So I haven't really heard this story, so I want to know the details behind how this 60th birthday party came together and in this certificate that that deemed me knoxville's beer mayor so this won't surprise you at all but it was organized by your wonderful wife and encouraged by mr moyers yes and barry faust yeah the the usual suspects yeah great friends and uh you know barry had had gotten the nickname the governor and you'd gotten the nickname the mayor yeah and so I was talking to your wife. We were working on all the details and planning out the tour. I don't even know where the idea came from, but I just thought about how much people in the brewing community cared about you. And I had everyone's email addresses. So I sent an email at that time, I think, to 14 or 15 breweries. Right. And said, hey, we're doing a surprise birthday party for Greg. I would like to recognize him as the official beer mayor of Knoxville. And if you support this, will you give me permission to use your logo? Right. And every single person I sent them email to said, hell effing yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm getting a chicken skin. So I got like on like Microsoft PowerPoint and I pulled up like a diploma yeah. and I changed all the words and I added all the brewery's logos and we framed it and uh, presented it to you. 
I was. We need to re-update that. I yeah. bet everybody would say yes today too. <laughs> I was completely floored. Uh, it was so unexpected, and I don't do well under those circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not crying. You're crying. So it was. Uh, yeah, it was a very emotional experience. So I'm very grateful for that, and will be uh, for the rest of my life. Do you still have it? Oh, of course I do. Is it's, it it's hanging, hanging over my beer fridge in the garage. Is it really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's amazing. So your business is thriving as more breweries open and you're able to expand your tours to include different breweries. Now, I don't I don't want to complain, but having more breweries, people assumed was better for our business. Okay. But it gave us new challenges. It is insanely difficult for us to hire a new guide and expect them to learn all the information that we expect them to learn in a short period of time. Yes, they must be very, very knowledgeable. We have to educate them and train them on how to be an expert of 20 different businesses that all have different histories, different stories, different cultures, different mantras, and then physically different spaces and different places that we can go to. And so while every time a new brewery opened up, it was an exciting opportunity for us. It was also a challenge. And so not complaining, it's better to have more options than, than not enough. Right. But that, that was been an, an adventure too. Yeah. Your, your guides have to be very knowledgeable about craft beer and the brewing process and, and each location, but you also have to find someone that is, Amazing with people because they're part True. of the entertainment as well. True. Uh, I've learned some hard lessons that um, I love all my brewing friends out there. But most of them would agree they're shit tour guides. <laughs> it, yeah, am I wrong, though? <laughs> you're, no, you're not wrong. <laughs> uh, they're so smart and so intelligent and so passionate about beer uh, that sometimes they don't think about the presentation of the information. Right. 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 And so one of the challenges with Knox Brew Tours has always been finding talented people who not only know the science, but are passionate about sharing it and then explaining it to people in a way that is understandable and, right. ent and entertaining. Right. And so that's why the, the foundation of our mission statement is also the foundation that we hire people on. And that is that you have to have a love for Knoxville, a love of beer, and a love of people. I have hired people that were two out of three of those in every combination, and they don't work. Right. There's got to be a love, a deep love for all three of them. Right. Um, and loving people. You know, I, I, I sound sort of romantic, but like I always thought I was in the beer business, I was in the transportation business, but secretly I've always tried to strive to our team that we're in the people business. Absolutely. Um, and that's what makes this all worth it. Yeah. And that's why you have so many people come back. True. I hope so. So you were rocking and rolling, man. And then all <laughs> of a sudden this thing called COVID-19 hits and kind of throws some things in front of you. Yeah. So discuss a little bit about the challenges of that and what you had to do to survive. So March 13th, 2020 was our last tour that we ran before we were shut down by COVID. It was actually a Brewing 401 tour. I'm pretty sure you were on it. 
It was, or maybe you're out of town. Bruin. It was Aaron McLean and I. We went to Elkmont and Crafty Bastard. And yes, I was on that tour. Yes. David Dibler David, was, on. David yeah. was on with me. Yes, and Dan might have been on that. No, I don't think he no. was. Um, that was the last tour we ran. It was a fun tour. It was before. I remember being at Crafty and checking my phone and seeing that the NBA was canceling the finals. That's that was huge. And that was the moment when I realized, oh shit, this shit's real. <laughs> So one of my biggest regrets about COVID is I'm going to straight up call it my American hubris. Okay. I am a part of a Facebook group of tour operators all over the world. And in October and November, all of the tour operators in Italy were talking about how they were getting shut down, about how they were getting shuttered, about how, they were having that this virus was impacting their business. And I ignored all of those posts because I thought that won't happen here. Really? I don't have to worry about that. Mm. We've got the science, we've got the technology, uh, we've got the money as a country. You know, this is a problem that we're not going to have to worry about. Right. That's my biggest regret. Because I can't help but think about how Knoxville tours would have been different if I had I had a six month warning. I had six months to prepare myself and my business and our team for what was coming if I had just opened my eyes and be- and believed it was possible. Well, that's my biggest regret. Yeah. Um, but anyways, Th- this was an event that none of us had ever seen in our life. You know, so you. To that point, I'll cut you some slack there. To that, to that point, my dad is about to be seventy, and every challenge and complication that I've dealt with my life in my life, I've called, I've been able to call my dad, and him give me some sort of insight or advice or wisdom or experience. COVID nineteen was the first time I called my dad, and he was like, "Your guess is as good as mine." Yeah, you know, he's like, "I have no idea." I've not, this is just as new to you as it is to me. All right. So when that happened, we were like, okay, my, my, my first goal, my first focus was my team. Sure. I take it very seriously that when we hire somebody, we're making a promise to them. And I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to keep those promises. And so we started trying to think of creative ways to keep those promises. And the initial idea that came from it was we have breweries that have food and beer and they don't have a commercial vehicle with a commercial insurance. We have commercial vehicles with red, with drivers that are right that are insured and permitted. So let's connect them. And so we started doing beer and food delivery for last days, for Balter, for Black Horse, for Crafty. And that worked for a couple months. Um, We were delivering food and delivering beer and charging a small delivery fee. And my drivers were getting tip money. And and the business wasn't making any money, but we were staying active. We were living out our mission, and we were providing work for our team. That started to run out, though. I think the novelty ran out. Right. Um, People just stopped ordering food. From breweries 
And then the next idea was the celebration buses. Right. Uh, the celebration buses were where Garrett Thompson and Kent Oglesby from Born and Raised Productions and I would go to people's homes or businesses and then using costumes and music and sh- just straight up shenanigans right help people celebrate things that they couldn't celebrate with their friends this one woman paid us $150 to go to someone's house to think to celebrate her husband putting pants on for the first time in 2 weeks <laughs> and she said that we had to yell it throughout the whole neighborhood like the whole the whole so she wanted everyone in the neighborhood to know that her husband put pants on for the first time that's great we helped someone celebrate their final chemo treatment oh wow we helped birth celebrate kids birthdays we helped celebrate high school graduations yeah um one of the luckiest celebration buses that we did uh was a friend uh of ours at the time uh, a woman by the name of Amy Golem, yes, who had recently purchased her own home, and her friends paid us to help her celebrate the purchase of her new home. Wow! Spoiler alert: Yes, we are currently sitting in that same home. Wow! Um, <laughs> there's a lot to to connect those two dots. We can get into that another time. Yeah, yeah it's um, amazing. <laughs> where where life's roads will take you, you know. Yeah. It's it's amazing. But you you also had one where you you guys reenacted some type of uh, sports play, yes. didn't you? So Mama calls me Kevin. <laughs> if you listen to the show, you know Striker. Uh we went to his house and over the loudspeaker we played the recording of the Tennessee football field goal winning kick uh to to keep the Tennessee Vols in, in contention for the national championship. Right. And one of us was dressed up as a ref, and one of us was dressed up as a player, and one of us was dressed <laughs> up as a goalpost. And we got to let Stryker kick the football and reenact it while listening to the original radio call. Wow. And that's how creative we got. We, yeah. it, we were basically just modern day clowning. Yeah. That's really what it was. Yeah. Doing and what we're, you could to survive. To survive. Right? Yeah. yeah. And that's one of the lessons I took away from COVID was – um, when you're uncomfortable, you'd be surprised how much how much creativity is bred from being uncomfortable. Hmm. In fact, I would argue sometimes success is a detrimental to creativity, and fear and uncertainty can sometimes be gasoline on the fire of creativity. Motivating. Mm-hmm. You were fortunate. Throughout COVID and those 513 days, uh, you started business back as a walking tours. As, yes. But as I mentioned earlier, I didn't sit still well as a kid <laughs> and I don't sit still well today. Uh, believe me, I know. <laughs> but how many? I was curious, maybe you don't know this, but that Facebook group that you were on with all the tours. How many of those places do you think went out of business as 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 it relates to COVID? Um, sadly, I would say half. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm surprised it wouldn't be more than that. Well, there were a lot of there were a lot of people in the tour space that weren't quite full time. Okay. 
there were a lot of people who were, they were weekend, they called them weekend warriors who had a passion for where they were living and had a passion for fishing or kayaking or right. mountain biking. And they were pursuing their passion of sharing that with other people. And so I, I think they, they didn't have uh, maybe the support or the infrastructure um, to sustain that. And I hope that those will get restarted soon. Talk about um, resuming Knox Root Tours walking. So this this may be an unpopular opinion. I don't know. But we could have started Knox Brew Tours tours sooner. Uh, we could have done them with masks. We could have done them with limited like spaces. We could like we could have done it sooner. But what my team and I got together and decided was we didn't want to come back until we could offer the same experience we've always offered. All right. We didn't want to say, okay, here's our tour, but everybody has to wear masks and there can only be six people on the bus and we're only going to go to patios. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> and I'm just to be clear, I'm not anti-masks. I'm just saying that wearing masks uh, had a negative impact on a tour experience. So we waited until we felt like we could really, really offer what we've always offered. All right. And the holdup wasn't the government. The holdup wasn't the vaccinations. The holdup wasn't us. The holdup was our breweries. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I supported them fully. They care a lot about their health. And our business model was to take people into their workspace. All right. And so naturally, they were like, wait, you want to bring 30 strangers into my workspace? Right. right. And it was a very scary time and a very yeah. fearful time. Yeah, I understand that. Their so we, we didn't want to relaunch our tours until they were comfortable. Right. And so when we started off with the walking tours, it was, I remember like tearing up after the first tour. Yeah. I was, I, I felt like a kid again because there was like, I have forgotten some things forgotten some flow, you know, like the way that we do things. I I was telling people about beer again and seeing their reactions and seeing the light bulbs and seeing all these great moments. And it was like, I mean, it was just, it was a dream. It was, it was like, I'm back. We're back. Right. And Ace and I had moments where of just joy and laughter and smiles because of course. what we loved so much. I love the bar. I love, I love driving the bus. I love bartending. I love running a business. There is nothing in this life, business-wise, activity-wise, that I love more right. than guiding a brewery tour. Yeah. To the point to where whenever I run into people at breweries, I'm like, you want to learn more about this brewery? <laughs> Let me tell you all about it. <laughs> it's passion and love, brother. I mean, it yeah. didn't On that first walking tour, didn't that one of the breweries – was that not the first time that you actually oh, went into the brewery? Well, that was well. I'm trying to think with a tour. Well, Geezers? Black Horse was had moved their location to Gay Street, right? But and Geezers, then, oh, also Geezers, yeah. yeah, and Gypsy Circus, right, and Zool, right. Yes, we yeah. added those breweries during COVID. Sorry, <laughs> right. I've had a beer and slept since then, and I didn't sleep well, but uh, I slept since then. Yeah. Um, and yes, 
That was great that you, you know, that your first walking tour included breweries that you had never been to before as it relates to bringing people and educate them about the brewery. Yeah. And so that was fun. We, it was great to see our beer community grow during COVID and not uh, get injured. Yeah. Yeah. So real quick, I just want to be really honest to you and to people listening, because we are doing this podcast in my house, okay. but I just got a text that Amy just got home, Okay, uh, who's my other half, who I share this home with, and she is wondering what to do, and I, I told her to just come on in. Of course. So of course. We, don't, we don't have to stop the recording, but here in a second, the dogs might bark for a minute. Um, but that's that's what happens when we do the podcast at home, yeah, right? That's, that's fine. Uh, one of the things that you've you've done and you've taken advantage of uh, during your history uh, with Knox Brew Tours is is that you would take advantage of certain momentous occasions. Yes, like and promote. Yeah, like anniversary parties and well, numbers of tours it, and yes, beer festivals, like and, the eight six five. Yeah, the the one thousandth tour. Yeah, tours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the beer, the beer geek tour that we kind of touched on. We're doing a Maryville, a Blunt County brew tour coming up in December. Sweet, yeah, that's great. I can't wait for that. Um, so talk about any changes or adjustments that maybe you haven't mentioned that you've made in the eight years um, to your business model. Uh, I, for one thing, you you move locations. Yeah, from hops and hollers. Yeah, to but last that doesn't days. really. That was, you know, that didn't really affect how we did things that right. much. I think probably the biggest change that we have made over the last eight years is learning who we are and learning who we're not. Okay, we've experimented a lot with loops, with hop on hop offs. We've experimented a lot with shuttles. Yes, we've experimented a lot with private transportation. You know, at one point we had a we had a subsidiary called Epic Transportation. Yeah, uh, I remember that. And I think we've learned that our passion and our love is guided brewery tours. And so sure. I think learning who we are, um, learning who we are is the biggest change. Right. And not fighting it and just accepting that we are a guided brewery tour company. That's our passion. That's our bread and butter. And that's what we're going to stick to. That's right. probably the biggest change that we've made over the last eight years. So is there anything that you can talk about as, as it relates to plans? For the future. And goals for the future huh. of Knox Brew Tours. Let me think about that. <laughs> um, I mean, right now we're just, I think we're actually focusing on being smaller. Um, Pre-COVID, we had three buses. We were running six tours on a Saturday. And we were trying to do all the things for all the people. And I think we've now changed our focus to being okay with being sold out, being okay with being fully booked and saying, Hey, sorry, see you next weekend. Um, and making sure that we're giving a hundred percent to every single tour okay. instead of giving 60% to all the tours. Yeah. Because if I'm being really honest, there was probably a few times that we had a few guides that maybe weren't fully trained up or a few drivers that didn't have as much experience as we'd like. Mm -hmm. Because we didn't want to say no. We didn't want to say no to the business. We didn't want to say no to the opportunities. And now I think our main, the biggest change to sum this up is we're focusing more over quality and less on quantity. Yeah. And you have a pretty 
pretty good retention rate as it relates to your our team to your team yeah yeah, yeah. that's something to be proud of yeah uh their family yeah when you started knox brew tours <laughs> yeah way back then eight years ago mm-hmm. did you have the vision or could you have imagined that how much the craft beer scene has grown in knoxville as far as the number of breweries now compared to then yes Really? Yes. Okay, wise one. Elaborate. (laughs) (laughs) I love Knoxville, and I knew that people loved it as much as I did. Yeah. And so for that reason, I still think there's more room for breweries. I'm one of the few people who feels like we still have room for more breweries. Okay. There are still neighborhoods and areas of this town that are underserved. Right. That are not getting the community and the quality craft beer that we're getting yeah. downtown and, and west and certain areas of town um I, I saw what other cities were doing i was studying other cities like grand rapids and portland and Asheville, and i mean and i knew that was possible here in knoxville and so it didn't surprise me at all it didn't surprise me to see the growth and to see the potential yeah. and um yeah so no not surprised at all and also uh, as we mentioned it to those listening, that Amy might be coming home at some point. Yes. She has officially come home, but <laughs> somehow, like a ninja, was able to sneak in the front door without the dogs barking. So if you're listening, waiting for that to happen, I just want to let you know it's already happened. And it's already come and gone, and it was way more boring than we anticipated yes. that it was going to be. <laughs> I thought it would be much more action than that. <laughs> Where can the listeners... Keep up on everything as it relates to Knox Brew Tours, and how do they uh, sign up for a tour? Yeah, um, you know it's it's kind of the answer that everybody gives: Instagram, Facebook, social media. But knoxbrewtours.com, mm-hmm. top right corner, there's a full calendar of all of our activities, and you can always call us at eight six five nine five one six eight eight three. I've got that number memorized, as yes. you can imagine, and. Um, yeah, that's the best way to get connected with Knox Brew Tours. And if you haven't been on a tour or if you have or know someone that has and they loved it, um, they do offer uh, gift cards. Yes, they do. With the holiday season quickly Give approaching. the gift so, of an yes. experience, not just a thing. Anyone that uh, normally provides me gifts, hint, 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 <laughs> hint. <laughs> so one of the things when I really found out big time about Knox Brew Tours was right after I retired from working 35 years in retail. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do in my life. I was bored. My wife was substitute teaching all the time. So I started venturing downtown and visiting the breweries, and I like to go down early. You know, I like to go when it's not busy so that I can interact with the the bartenders there. Yeah. But I learned of this thing called... The Tennessee Beer Run, which was a 1,400-mile journey visiting 76 breweries in 21 days days on one bus. So it was was January 24th through February 13th. Yep. Started and ended at Crafty. Let me tell you a fun fact really quick. Do you know why it was those dates? No. Because my favorite band in the whole world, Switchfoot, Yes. Was playing a show in Knoxville at the Mill and Mine on February 14th. Ah. And so we had to bump it up 
so that we'd be back in town Interesting. one day before the Switch. That is show. a fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> On Valentine's Day. But I believe you got some publicity out of that too, weren't we? Wasn't did. that we featured were, in like ten, uh, uh, Tennessee Craft Beer Craft Magazine? Beer magazine, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, tons of social media promotion and interactions and some people... Uh, almost every city we visited, uh, we sent out press releases and they would interview us for their, sh- their TV show, so TV you're, station. You're an idea man. So yeah. how did this idea originate? Oh, Lordy. I don't even remember. Really? I don't. I think <laughs> I think um, at one point I just said, I want to visit every brewery in the state of Tennessee. And somebody was like, I bet you won't. you know. And I was like, all right, here we go. Challenge accepted. Um, and so... I I guarantee you Rob Shoemaker was involved. Yeah. From Knox Beer Snobs. Yeah, I'll be talking with him here in a couple of weeks. Rob was a writer and a contributor to Knoxville Craft Beer Magazine. Oh. And was like, I bet this is something that they would would love to be a part of. And, you know, one of the biggest challenges was that not every – it's physically impossible to go to 76 breweries in 21 days because of the limitation of hours. Right. So the right. only way this was going to work was if breweries would give me some of their time. Right. At Monday morning at 9:30, sure. at Wednesday at noon. And so I knew the only way that they would do that is if they f- felt like there was some value, yeah, to, to it f- for them. So being able to send them an email and saying, hey, we're doing this trip. It's going to be featured in a statewide craft beer magazine to promote your business. We're going to be doing these videos. We're going to be creating this content for you. Really opened up the door for us. Okay. So what happened was I contacted all the breweries in Johnson City. They all said yes. Contacted all the breweries in Chattanooga. They all said yes. Contacted all the breweries in Nashville. They all said yes. Contacted all the breweries in BFE. And yes. they said yes. The only city I could not get to commit to anything was Memphis. Wow. Long story short, I went to visit a friend of mine in New Orleans. I previously mentioned Cesar. Right. And I had an extra day. So instead of driving home, I drove from New Orleans to Memphis. Okay. And I poked in my head to a brewery and said, hey, is the manager here? <laughs> And I said, hey, I've been sending you guys some emails about this thing. And uh, I got lucky. And the brewer was there. We sat there for two hours and had beer. And I shared with him my goal and my vision. He connected me to this brewery. This brewery connected me to this brewery. Next thing I know, yeah. the Memphis breweries gave me a verbal yes. That's and great. we were in business. That's great. That was probably November. And then um, I needed a co-pilot, so we got Matt involved. We got my friend Jessica involved. And then we uh, needed some money to make it work. Mm-hmm. So Grayson Subaru sponsored us, and Kroger sponsored us. So they were our wow. fuel sponsor. They gave us enough gift. I estimated our gas, and they gave us enough gift cards to pay for all of our fuel. That's fantastic. And uh, we hit the road. And yes. it was probably one of the most challenging three weeks of my life. How did you plot out the route? Good question. So I knew for a fact we wanted to end in Knoxville. And I also knew for a fact that we needed to break Nashville up because it was there were so many breweries there. Right. Um, and so the route was we went north first to Johnson City. Mm-hmm. And then we went south 
to Chattanooga. And then we cut through the middle of the state, like where Manchester is. All right. Hit Nashville for a couple of days. We went north to Clarksville, traveled west because there's Paris, Tennessee, Perry Logic Brewery, then Jackson, then Memphis. And then our way home, we spent two more days in Nashville. And then we spent, um, then we hit Crossville, it was the second to last day. Okay. Lily Pad, Calf Killer. Yeah. And then ended in Knoxville. I mean, just the logistically, it seemed like the least amount of backtracking. So of those 76 breweries that you went to, how many would you say still exist? What percentage? I'm going to say 92% of them. 90% of them. That's great. What's crazy, though, is that there are now over 120. Yeah. So while we may have lost, you know, eight or nine of those breweries that I visited, yeah. we've since gained 40 or 50. Right. I mean, I, I think the Tennessee beer run today without financial, substantial financial backing and like a, a deal with Netflix would be about impossible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I have this vision. I have this dream of. Well, okay. Of so Rick- you're, you're mentioning this to me. <laughs> My buddy who owns Maine Brew Maine Brews Cruise, um, they work with the Maine Tourism Board to make these videos promoting wineries, distilleries, and breweries in the state of Maine. I need to send those videos to the Tennessee State Tourism Board. Yes, to see if they would sponsor us going to these breweries and creating a internet TV show promoting right um, craft beverages in the state of Tennessee. I mean, you could you could even. Since there's so many, you could divide it into the separate three grand divisions of the state. Yeah, I mean, that's why there's three stars on our state flag. Yeah, Yeah, it would be great. So you did Facebook Lives at... Every day. Every day at one of the the breweries that you went to. It's usually the third brewery. Yeah. We'd go to two in the morning... One in the afternoon where we would, the third one where we do the Facebook Live, and then the fourth one is where we would be our landing spot where we would stay for the rest of the night and usually end up sleeping in the bus. Right. But the bus was heated and had a queen size mattress in it and a hammock, and it was, <laughs> and it was pretty legit. So I noticed because I had my phone set up, my Facebook notification set up, whenever you were going live, I would get a notification right away so that I could watch that. Yeah. And you had, you seemed a little bit more relaxed <laughs> during the Facebook lives. <laughs> yes. And also it took us an adjustment because I didn't think about Eastern Standard Time versus right. Central when we went, when we made it to the breweries in the middle of the state. And I think at one point you like got on and you were like, where are you, where is it? Yes. And I was like, it's not for another hour. What are you talking about? <laughs> what were your, what were the most memorable events of the trip? Um, one of the most memorable events of the trip was when we were at Fat Bottom. They had, and this is a complete coincidence that we were there. They had set out like 40 barrels of a beer that they barrel aged. And that day was the day that they were going to, where they were testing the barrels and they were going to start blending them. Ah, so wow. us and their head brewer and their owner got to take a half ounce taster of every single barrel. Wow. And if something's tasted off, they would mark it with a piece of white chalk. And if it tasted really good, they'd put a star on it. 
And if it was what they expected, it would put a circle. And I think out of those 40 barrels, there was like two of them that, you know, had maybe gotten some wild yeast in there or something. Right. something it doesn't necessarily say it was bad. It just wasn't what they wanted. Yeah. And that was a really, really, really memorable experience yeah. to be able to to taste all those barrels and the, and the differences and the nuances. Uh, while we were at Mayday Brewery, we got to do this crazy like brew tour that involved a lounge chair that was ratchet strapped to a pallet on top of a furniture dolly. Um, and who, one person in the tour was deemed the the tour king, and they got to sit in that chair and get pushed around by the tour guide. I mean, it was <laughs> it was a wild trip. Uh, another memory that I have uh, was this brewery called Perry Logic in Paris, Tennessee, and uh, it was really cool to see the sense of community in such a small town. Yeah. I mean, everybody. Every single person that walked through the door was a, hey, Bob, hey, Susie, hey, you know, whatever. They all knew each other. How's your mom? How's your, you know, it was cool to see uh, it thriving in such a small town. Yeah. Uh, Going to the lily pad was a treat. That's my first time ever there. Was it? We arrived in the dark, pulled right up to the fire pit, and we left in the dark because it was February and we had to be at Smoky Mountain Brewery in Turkey Creek by 8.30 a.m. So the first time experiencing lily pad, I only saw within 10 feet of the fire pit and, and, and at night. Wow. The second time I went back there, it was a completely different experience. Right. Um, but, man, the list, the list goes on and on. Yeah. With all the video footage, have, have you ever thought about doing like a blooper reel? Yes. <laughs> I thought about re-releasing those videos. I wish you would. Well, I have, <laughs> Memories. A, I have a surprise for you. I might have the hard drive with all of the film hooked up to the computer. Sweet. Right now. Sweet. And uh, when we're done here, I plan on uh, thumbing through it with you. I can't wait. Talk about your recovery time from the trip because you you consumed quite a bit of uh, craft beer. I gained 20 pounds. Really? In three weeks. Holy shit. But I don't think it was so much the alcohol. I think it was more uh, the lack of exercise and we ate like absolute garbage. Yeah. If I could go back in time, if I could have just walked more and eaten better, I think I would have enjoyed the trip more because I would have been able to. I just would have felt better. Right. You know, we weren't sleeping good. It never failed. Every single brewery we would go to, I would beg them to give me two ounces of beer. I'd be like, give me, give me two ounces of that, two ounces of that, two ounces of that. That's all I can take. <laughs> And it never fails. They would bring a half pint of every single beer they've ever brewed. Oh, my brewed. God. <laughs> and it just was exhausting. Yes, um, I can imagine. And I think that's part of what we talked about earlier, where I started to get a little bit of like liquid fatigue. Right. Where I was sort of like, I don't care about this as much. I care about <laughs> you. Why did you start this brewery? What does this brewery mean to you? Right. What impact is it having on your community? That's when I think things kind of changed for me a little bit. Well, thank you for doing the trip. Oh, yeah. Because that kind of, we're talking about taking turns in life, that was a turn in my life that led to me being so active in Knoxville Craft Beer. Let's was, do it. Let's, what's that? Let's do it again. And this time, Greg, you should come with me. Don't say it unless you mean it. I mean it. <laughs> I will, I'll do the on camera stuff. We'll do like little videos. And then when the video's over, 
we'll bust out the microphones and you can do like a follow-up podcast. Right. And at the end of each video, it'll say, uh, for more information and for a deeper dive, go to this podcast. Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) I know exactly who to call first. Yes. Okay. So thank you for sitting down with me (laughs) for this extended two-part interview. We didn't tell anyone that until now, but this is going to be a two-parter. And this concludes this episode of Knox Brew Stories, The Mayor's Report, part one of a two-part interview with Zach Roscoff, owner of Knox Brew Tours and the mind behind the Tennessee Beer Run. I invite you to listen to part two next week when we discuss Zach's other interests as co-owner of Knox Brew Hub, owner of Knox Brew Stories, and an active member of Knoxville Area Brewers Association in Knoxville. I'd like to thank our sponsors, First Century Bank and Dylan Roskop with Master Services, who you can reach at 865-256-4500 and InsureFit. I'd also like to give a shout out to Asher Coker, our podcast producer editor, as well as the fellow sitting across the table from me, Zach Roskop, and the entire Knox Brew Stories team. Thank you, Greg. Until next time, may the best day of your past be the worst day of your future. Cheers. Cheers.